And uh, you can have a seat, and as you're sitting down, pull out your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Pastor Robbie's going to mention this a little bit more, but on your way in, you probably saw the giant red X out in front of the lobby. We want you to do a couple of things when you leave. First, we want you to draw a red X on your hand. We have uh, Sharpies uh, that are available for you to do this, and then we want you to grab your husband, who may or may not be willing to do this, or your wife, who may or may not be willing to do this, and your kids, or your friends, or by yourself, uh, and take a selfie in front of that red X. This is the only time that you can take a selfie for a noble reason, okay? And then we want you to post it today, and then we want you to post it on Thursday. There are some specific hashtags that we want you to use because we're not the only ones doing this. We're going to be linked up with millions of Christians around the United States and even around the world uh, who are doing this exact same thing, Red X, posting it online. And we're doing this because right now there are more slaves in the world than there have ever been. And, uh, you know, not every Christian throughout history has spoken up and said that was wrong. You know? And we want to be that church. To say it is not okay for people to be forced to work against their will. And uh, that's not a far away problem. It feels like it. It feels like that should be happening in the back alley of some Indian town you've never heard of or Thailand somewhere. But it is actually happening right here in Houston, Texas. Houston is one of the leading offenders of human trafficking in the United States of America. And as somebody who lives here, we want to say not okay. And we want to bring awareness to this issue. And awareness really matters. Um, we may feel powerless, but what happens when we all draw red X's on our hands and do a hashtag and post it at the same time is there are influencers in the United States who take notice. Senator Bob Corker just passed in the last year legislation about human trafficking. It was groundbreaking for Congress to do something like that. And Senator Corker learned about human trafficking because people posted red X's on their hands. And he heard about this, learned about it, wanted to do something about it. But he is retiring at the end of his term. And so we want to make sure, again, along with millions of Christians around the world in the United States, that other senators, other leaders, other influencers know that this is happening, that they might help us do something about it. So Step one is awareness, and then Pastor Robbie is going to tell us some action that we can actually take, both globally and locally, uh, that we can make a difference with our lives. So make sure you draw a red X on your hand before you leave, and take a picture, then post it today, and uh, especially post it on Thursday. It would be really helpful. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. If you're a guest with us today, we've been making our way through Hebrews. Today's Hebrews chapter 11, next week chapter 12, the week after that chapter 13. The author of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, has two primary goals in writing this letter. The first goal is to illustrate the superiority of Jesus. So already in Hebrews, we've seen Jesus as superior to the Old Testament heroes. We've seen him as superior to the Old Testament law. We've seen him superior to the Old Testament priestly system. In every way, Jesus exceeds everyone. The second goal that the author of Hebrews has is to encourage Christians in the first century to continue to endure faithfully. 
When you came to church today, you had some minor obstacles to overcome. Maybe somebody in your family was grumpy. Maybe you were grumpy. You can nudge that person right now if, uh, if they're sitting next to you. Uh, maybe uh, the Shipley's Donuts didn't have hot donuts. They only had lukewarm donuts. Uh, maybe the line at the drive-thru was a, a little bit longer. Maybe your coffee was not as good as it normally is. We probably had some minor obstacles on our way here today. But these first Christians, they had major obstacles. When they went to church, people would sometimes ridicule them on their way. Uh, When they went to church, sometimes they got thrown in jail. When they went to church, then came back to their homes, sometimes people had stolen everything that they owned because they were Jesus followers. So the Spirit of God, inspiring the author of Hebrews, two goals to illustrate the superiority of Jesus and to encourage those first Christians and therefore us to remain faithful. Hebrews chapter 10 ends with this call to enduring faithfulness and then chapter 11 starts and it is the hall of fame of heroes. I mean, you have Noah, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, Sarah, David, all of these people are mentioned. You can see them in the listening guide that you have there in front of them and there's in front of you and there's one thing that unites all of those people they came to a defining moment in their life and chose to have faith in God instead of following the facts in front of them they were at a crossroads a fork in the road they could go with the facts in front of them or they could go with faith in God Noah had no reason to believe that the world was going to flood If anything, the facts would have led him to believe that the world would never flood and probably wouldn't even rain. But God had said it was going to and that he should build a boat. So he built a boat. Moses had no factual motivation to take him from being a shepherd up in the mountains back into Egypt where he was actually a fugitive from the law, and stand before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. The facts would have told him to actually do the opposite of that. But God had said through the burning bush, this is what I want you to do. And Moses chose faith over the facts in front of him. And we are going to come to those defining moments in our lives. Sometimes they're going to feel big, and we're going to know we're at one of those moments. And sometimes it's going to feel small, and we may have even for, for, for forgotten those moments, but we're all going to stand there, and we're all going to have the choice. I can go with the facts as I know them, or I can do the thing that God is asking me to do. About a year before we started Bayou City, Amanda and I knew that God was speaking to us, and we were pretty confident that he wanted me to be a pastor somewhere, and uh, we were about 50% sure that we should start a new church in Houston. But at the time, there was a network of churches, and on their website... Uh, They had pastorless churches in in the Houston area. And I would go on there and I would just hope that God would let me go to one of those churches for a few reasons. Number one, those uh, churches already existed, which was nice because if God wanted us to start something brand new, that's, that's hard. So go to something that already exists. That's like step one done, right on to step two. The other reason is these churches were mostly pretty small, churches that you had never heard of. And I thought, well, this would be great because if they're already small and I go in there and I'm a terrible pastor and it stays small, I can be like, well, it's not my fault. You know, it started, started really small. Right? 
The third thing is I really love the job that I had at the time, and I can actually keep my job. And uh, so nothing about our financial status, which was not that impressive uh, anyway, would change. And so I had security there. So this is a great opportunity. If God would just let me be the pastor of one of those pastorless churches, then I could check the box of obeying him, but not have to risk anything. And those are two things that I love. I love obeying God and it costing me nothing, you know? But over time, God was just speaking to us, leading us, no, new church, new church. And I'm going to be honest, the more that he was saying new church, the more I checked that website. Just hoping that I would lay my eyes on one of those churches and the harmony of heaven, the angelic chorus would be like, oh. And I would get to obey God and minimize risk. And it was a defining moment for our life where the facts in front of us probably should have said, don't do it, play it safe. But God was leading us down a different path. I love the way that one author defined faith. I would love for you to write this down. Faith is undivided confidence in God. Undivided confidence in God. In Mark chapter 9, we see the picture of the opposite, divided confidence confidence. It says in verse 14, when they returned to the other disciples, this is Jesus, James, Peter, and John, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. And one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe but help me overcome my unbelief. In this father, we see a crystal clear picture of what divided confidence looks like. In one sense, he brought his son to Jesus because he knew that Jesus could heal him, cast these demons out, make his son clean again. But on the other hand, he said, if you can. And then he summarizes, I think, our human condition when he said, I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. But divided confidence is not what God wants. He wants undivided confidence, this faith. That's what James says in James chapter 1 when he encourages us to pray for wisdom. In verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. 
Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. The reason that most of us have divided confidence is because we have divided loyalties. We're loyal to what God says on one hand, and we're uh, loyal to what we feel on the other hand. But it's undivided confidence that he's looking for, and the stakes are high when it comes to faith. Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. Verse 4, then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. The scripture, it gives us the impression that Jesus was willing to do lots of miracles. That that's what he wanted to offer his hometown. These people that he had grown up with, these people that he knew. But he couldn't because their skepticism, their doubt was a barrier to God's power at work in their lives. Faith is undivided confidence in God and the stakes are high. So there are three things you see these in your listening guide that I want us affirming and saying when we leave today. Number one, I will please God with my faith. I will please God with my faith. Verse six, and it is impossible to please God Without faith. I once worked for a pastor. He was one of the greatest pastors that I know. And I learned everything that I know from him. But I never knew if he was mad at me. I just could never tell. And I deserve to be mad at. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm mostly an idiot. And uh, especially then. So like, for example, I was the youth pastor. And one Wednesday night when we were supposed to be having youth activities, I thought, you know, it would be a great idea is if I just you know, took all the youth group down to the McDonald's right down the street and we'd have a great time and it'd be fun and be a good memory. So I told everybody, hey, we're just going to go down the street and we're going to go to McDonald's and get some money from your parents. Uh, Or if you don't have any money, I'll cover you and you can pay me back later. So we all kind of went down there. I knew that somebody would show up a little bit late and wonder, you know, hey, what happened to the youth group? So I printed out one sign and I put it in an obscure hallway. Looking back, I didn't know it was obscure at the time, but now looking back, that said, the youth group has gone to the McDonald's down the street. Come on down. It's a party. So the next morning, I get back into my office, a little red voicemail light blinking. I pick up the phone, and uh, it's a mom who's left me a very lengthy message. Uh, she was not super pleased with the decision to go down to the McDonald's because her son did not see my one obscure sign. And uh, he just hung out for a couple of hours by at the church by himself. And so she was letting me know about it, and uh, she was not happy. And I don't mean like she was like Christian unhappy. I mean like she was for real unhappy, like, <laughs> like for real. Then at the end, she said, and, uh, oh, I'm, I'm telling Pastor John about this. So I went down to his office immediately, and he was actually on the phone with her when I went in. And, and uh, she was a little bit more Christian happy with him than she was with me. Uh, Not quite the colorful language that she had used on my voicemail. So he hangs up the phone and uh, he looks at, he starts looking at me and I still can't tell like if he's mad at me, he should be mad at me. Now looking back, he should be furious with me. Uh, But he used to do this thing when he didn't really know what to say. He would look up like straight up. So it looked like he was looking into his brain for what he was going to say next. And so he would do that, and then he would look back at me, and he would do that, and he would look back at me. And I still don't know if he was mad at me, really, or like, was I doing him a favor because he didn't really like her? Was he mad at her and was glad that I had done that? 
I just never knew. I never knew, are you mad? Are you happy? Are you, are you in between somewhere? Verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. I went to a Jehovah's Witness funeral a couple of years ago, and the Jehovah's Witness minister got up, and he talked about how this man who had just died had a good reputation with God. He said that over and over again. He had a good reputation with God. And the reason that he had a good reputation with God, according to the Jehovah's Witness minister, is that he had done all these good things in his life. And he listed out all the good things that this man had done in his life. And that's why he had a good reputation with God. I think, honestly, most of us today don't know how God feels about us right now. Or maybe we do know, but we're not sure how he feels about us tomorrow or the day after that or a week from now or a month from now. So because we don't know, is God mad at me? Is he happy with me? Is he somewhere in between? We just lean on our own spiritual philosophy, understanding, which is I get a good reputation with God by doing a bunch of good things. I don't know if he's happy with me, so I'm going to make him happy by doing a bunch of good things. But it turns out, according to Hebrews chapter 11, that that Jehovah's Witness minister was wrong. We don't get a good reputation with God because of the good things we do. It's because of our undivided confidence in God. It's not what we do. It's what we believe God is able to do. It's not who we are. It's who we believe that God is. That's what pleases God. It's our faith that makes God pleased. Uh, So here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to stop asking God what he wants from you. God, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And I want you to start asking God, God, what are you doing? Not, God, what do you want me to do on my street for you? God, what are you doing on my street? And God will tell you. He will show you in various ways. And then you ask God, okay, I see what you're doing. Now, what do you want me to do in response to that? Because when we just ask God, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It's all about me. But faith is all about God. So by asking him, what are you doing? We're starting with God. And we're believing in him with undivided confidence. The second thing that I want us affirming and saying when we leave is I will not be an atheist. Verse 6, Hebrews chapter 11. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. Now, you may be saying, well, of course I believe that God exists. I'm here on a Sunday morning. Would I be here if I did not believe that God existed? But here's the true test to see if you believe in God. If tomorrow you became an atheist, you're not going to, but let's just pretend that you did. If tomorrow you became an atheist, you no longer believe in God. How much would change about your life? If just tomorrow you woke up, I don't believe in God anymore. What would be different about your life? Would the way you spend money be different? Would 
your house be different? Would your school district be different? Would your marriage be different? Would the way you're raising your kids be different? Because I'm afraid that there are a lot of us who believe in God, and yet if we stopped believing in God, two things would be different. What you do on Sunday morning and how you post on Facebook. But if your belief in God doesn't find its way down to how you spend and what you do and who you do it with, we can't just check the box and move on. I think a lot of us suffer from a condition called God-fearing atheism. Oh, we believe in God. We believe he's holy and he's good and he's loving. But we make most of our decisions like we don't believe in God. Or that he's not real or he doesn't exist. Uh, We're not the only ones guilty of this, actually. The people in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame of Faith did this from time to time. Uh, Sarah is mentioned in there, and God had made Sarah and her husband Abraham a great promise that they were going to be the mother and father of a great nation, and it was going to be bigger than the stars in the sky, and it was going to be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. The problem is is that Abraham and Sarah were barren. That was their own words. They were not able to have children, and Sarah was old. I'm looking around the room today. I think she was probably older than any person sitting in this room right now. And God made them this promise. And Sarah heard somebody say, from this time, one year from now, Sarah will have had a baby. And it's, the scripture says that she laughed. She scoffed. Because Sarah, in that moment, was suffering from God-fearing atheism. She believed in God. She knew God had spoken to her. God had led her and Abraham to do these things. But she did not believe that God would be able to supernaturally make her pregnant. So she had divided confidence. On one hand, this is what she knows about God. and the other hand... She didn't believe that he was able to do this. It should be that if you became an atheist tomorrow, everything about your life would be different. Because it means everything about your life is being shaped by the fact that God is real. He's clearly seen in Jesus, his son. And you have a personal relationship with him because of Jesus. But that kind of God-fearing atheism, it just sneaks up on us. It doesn't... It doesn't knock on the door. It doesn't let us know ahead of time. And we don't usually realize when it's happening. When I was in my mid-20s, I was working at a church. And the church was growing. And they wanted to make more room for more people. So they thought, we we should do a Saturday night service. And they tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we want you to lead it. We want you to teach at it most weeks. And we want you to just be in charge of it. And I was really excited. That was something that I was hungry to do. I wanted to make a little bit bigger contribution at that church. And so I was super excited. We weren't going to have it in the normal auditorium because that was pretty big. And we didn't think that many people would be coming at first. And so we decided to have it in the gym, but nobody wants to come to church in the gym. So there are two things that you learn when you go to seminary. Number one, they teach you how to teach the Bible. And number two, they teach you how to shop at Ikea because it's like a minister's secret weapon. And so I went to the Ikea to buy rugs and lamps and little tables so that the gym wouldn't really feel like a gym. And we got some fancy lights and we pointed at a stage and we kind of made a room within a room and I felt really good about it. We had our first service and it was awesome. Lots of people came. It was really good energy. It was just, it was just really fun. Unfortunately, less people came the next week and then less people came the next week and less people. You can see the trajectory was going down and down and down. After a couple of months, I was like, oh, something's got to change. We're going to be in trouble. We're going to be dead. This is not going to exist if something doesn't change. So I went back to Ikea. (laughs) For real. And I bought more rugs. 
I bought more lamps. I bought more little tables. And that was the finest living room that you've ever seen in a gym. And less people came. And less people came. Until eventually we just said, no one is coming. I was thinking about that this week. If, If it hadn't have been me leading that, and it had been an atheist somebody who doesn't even believe that God existed, I think that atheist would have made all the same decisions that I had made. Because to my great shame, I never prayed and asked God to change it. I did not invite one person to come. I did not knock on the doors of the people who lived right around the church, letting them know that they had a place I did not gather anyone else to come and pray. We didn't search the scripture that we might have a burden for people who were disconnected from Jesus. I just went and bought more rugs and lamps. An atheist could have done that. Who doesn't even believe in God. And I was a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So... It's not as simple as, do I believe God exists? I do. Check the box and move on. And finally, the third thing that I want us affirming when we leave today, saying together, I will not forget what is ahead. I will not forget about what is ahead. Verse 6, And it is impossible to please God without faith, because anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is God's idea that we would be rewarded for our enduring faithfulness here in this life. And we see those rewards listed starting in verse 10. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Verse 13, all these people died still believing what God had promised them, so they didn't get their reward in this lifetime. It says they did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. Verse 16, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Then down in verse 26, he thought it was better, this is Moses, to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. So we see in Abraham and in Moses standing in for the rest of the heroes of faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11, that they were motivated to be faithful in their lifetime because of the reward that God had prepared for them. And remember, God tapped Abraham on the shoulder and said, I want you to leave the city that you live in. And I just want you to come live in a tent. And I'm going to show you where we're going. I'm not going to tell you ahead of time. I'm just going to lead you there. And Abraham did, along with his wife, Sarah. They lived in tents. And wherever they went, they had their home, but they were never at home. Always a nomad, always a foreigner. Moses had been the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, but had fled Egypt. And God tapped him on the shoulder through a burning bush. And said, I want you to go back to Egypt and deliver my people from slavery. 
And Moses did. And after Moses did, God led them into the wilderness and he lived in a tent. And Moses was led by a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. And wherever God's smoke went, Moses went and God's people went. If the cloud stayed, they stayed. If the cloud moved, they moved. Never in their homeland. Always nomads and foreigners. But it was the reward that set them free to be these nomads and foreigners. It was what was coming. They knew that what was coming was better than what they had. So they were faithful. And as I think about what following Jesus will probably need to look like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I think we're gonna have to more and more adopt a nomadic attitude about our lives. I think we are going to feel less and less at home here in this world. And I think that's a great thing for the kingdom of God. A couple of things that I think that we'll need to know as we're living as nomads and foreigners looking to what's ahead and not what we have in front of us. When we're nomads and foreigners, we are deeply attached to only what lasts forever. My daughter Willa is two years old and uh, she's deeply attached to her night-night. That's her blanket. And everywhere she goes, she has to have night-night. And if she doesn't have it, she's gonna ask about it. And at first she'll just ask nicely. But if we don't immediately put it into her hands, she starts yelling about it. Then she starts screaming about it. And then we all start screaming and yelling because we need to find her night-night and get it to her. But she's two, so it's genuinely acceptable But as she gets older and grows into maturity, she'll be less and less attached to it. You know, when she goes to college, if she brings night-night along, she needs to do it in like an ironic or a sentimental, I love my dad kind of way, you know. She can't actually need it. Because when you're growing into maturity, you grow less and less attached to the things that don't really matter. And as we grow into spiritual maturity, as nomads and foreigners in this world, we only want to be attached to what will really last. So we say about our homes, I love my home and my home is great and I thank God for my home and that he's provided for me and I can provide for my family and we love our neighbors and we love our neighborhood and we love having people over in our home. We love our home, but I don't need my home. I love my car and I thank God for my car and I thank God that I'm proud of my car and my car gets me from here to there and I thank God that I was able to pick out which car that I wanted and just have one given to me. I thank God for that, but I don't need my car. I thank God for this vacation, that we get to go and have these memories and do these amazing things. I thank God for that. But I don't need this vacation. We're only attached to the things that are gonna last forever, like people, relationships, and love, and justice, and peace, and mercy. Those are the things that we're attached to. As nomads and foreigners like Abraham and Moses, we are willing to be where God wants us to be. Like I said, Moses was led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud of smoke by day. Wherever the fire went, he went. Fire stayed, he stayed. We need to adopt that attitude. God, I'm willing to be wherever you want me to be. And if you want me to be in Cypress, Texas, then here I am. If you want me to be in Africa, it would be my greatest privilege to be wherever you want me to be. God's will comes first, then our will. 
when we're nomads and foreigners. We don't start with, God, this is really, 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 really what I want. We start with, God, what do you want? Now help me to want that same thing too. That my will would bend around your will. And finally, like Moses and Abraham, we are content, but we are not comfortable in this world. They were content with the tent that they lived in. But it's not the same as being comfortable. So we're happy here. As happy as we can be. We're fulfilled here. We have hope here. We have peace here. We're, we're filled with joy here. People like being around us here. And yet we know we're not at home here. So I'm content at work, but I'm not comfortable at work. I'm content in my neighborhood, but I'm not comfortable in my neighborhood. I'm content among my friends, but I'm not even totally comfortable around my friends because, well, I've got something better coming. I got a reward coming. And the reward ahead is better than what anyone or anything or anybody or could offer us now. So the reward sets us free to be nomads and foreigners, which is an opportunity for us to show our undivided confidence in God because that's what he's after today. Not for you to do more, but that you would believe more in who he is and what he's doing. Let's pray. Why don't you ask God directly, God, what are you saying to me today? Help me to hear what it is you want me to hear. God, now help us respond to what it is that you are asking, what it is you're doing. In Jesus' name.